to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One, powered by Overtime Media. Mark Daly here, welcoming you on board to the show this week. And here in Vancouver, Canada, it's cold, it's snowy, it's been a real blast of winter since uh, the last time I spoke to you this time last week. And it's quite crazy. It's been snowing for the past couple of days. And usually we get snow a couple of times uh, throughout the winter. This part of, uh, of North America on the coast here especially is Pacific rainforest, meaning our winters are usually milder and wetter and not frozen and snowy and icy as is, well, basically 99% of the rest of Canada. But be that as it may, winter finally came late, very late, uh, considering it was quite mild only just a week or two ago. But I quite like it. It's uh, it, it's as it's different from what we usually get, and hey, you just adjust to it and just uh, and get on with it. Also, just uh, wanted to check in. Uh, I have switched uh, providers here, uh, so I hope that uh, there aren't any issues uh, with uh, you receiving the podcast if you're subscribed through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio, wherever. Uh, I think there might be uh, an issue with the Spotify feed, so I'm looking to rectify that. However. If you are having some issues, please let me know. Uh, we've been working hard on the back end, and I've been uh, told that uh, that everything seems to have gone uh, rather seamlessly. So I'll be stopping the the old feed, which in reality shouldn't mean anything <laughs> for anyone subscribed. But if it doesn't show up, well, you you probably won't know. So I'm probably wasting my breath. So if you're hearing this, that's just good news. Anyways, other good news since we last spoke to each other. In manner of speaking, there have been several car and livery launches in Formula One, starting with Haas last week on February 7th, Williams, Toro Rosso, and earlier today on February 12th was Renault. And then February 13th, by the time you guys are listening to this in the morning, we will have the releases or the launches for Red Bull, Mercedes, and for Racing Point. And then Valentine's Day on Thursday, McLaren. Friday is Ferrari. And the beginning next week at uh, preseason testing is going to be Sauber. So that's uh, pretty cool. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. And well, once uh, <laughs> that's all done, then it's preseason testing, which gets underway next week. The first test goes from February 18th to 21st at Circuit de Catalunya, just outside of Barcelona. Wonderful place. One of the places I've been fortunate enough to go and watch a Grand Prix. And it's a, it's a lovely setting there. And then uh, the second test, uh, again in Barcelona, goes uh, a little bit later on this month from the 26th to March. March 1st. And then, hey, once we get past that, the, 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 the first Grand Prix of the year in Melbourne, Australia gets going on just over a month from now, March 17th. So it, it literally is right on our doorstep. And that's, uh, that's great to see. And then just a one note that I thought was kind of interesting that, uh, that, that I saw was that uh, although we are literally right on the doorstep, uh, they're about to fire up the engines for, for preseason testing, that some drivers are still without approved helmets for this year. Seems to be a, a bit of a gray area as to what version they should be doing as long as they comply with, I guess, the, the rules and regulations of Formula One. But I don't know if you guys uh, remember, but there was a, a new style helmet that was... Um approved last year and it's a really well it, it's got a bit of a, a narrower uh, gap whatever you want to call it field of vision in the front and that was a really sort of uh, because of that horrible incident that Felipe Massa had a number of years ago in Hungary when that spring popped off, uh, off of a car and bounced down the track and hit him uh, just above the, the, the left eye and caused a, quite a, a horrific injury so anyways these helmets have gone uh, undergone a, a really substantial amount of testing and military ballistics testing, which I have no idea what it is, but it sounds very impressive uh, to me. But it is a collaboration between some of the the, the different uh, helmet ma manufacturers in Formula 1 being uh, Stylo, Bell Racing, Schuberth, and Arai. And I believe it's only Stylo that uh, to this point have everything all uh, basically approved and, uh, and ready to go. So uh, I, I believe it's Bell uh, basically supplies half of the field and the other three uh, supply the other 10 drivers. So... Uh, 
I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a bit of a strange thing to to, to, to pop up into the media. And it seems to be a, a story if it's not a story, because I mean, obviously the helmets that they've been wearing are good. So I can't imagine that they wouldn't all of a sudden be not acceptable. And I don't think we're going to see guys driving around Barcelona with uh, with no helmets on. Well, hey, that's just being, being a bit silly at the moment. Anyways, let's talk about some uh, some more important things. So let's talk about some of the, the, the car and livery launches. So, um, well, there, there's been, like I say, a couple of them uh, already, but uh, the, the first one is, uh, is that I'm going to talk about is Williams and the FW42. Quite a, an interesting, uh, and I kind of like it, it's kind of a cool uh, livery on it. And of course, uh, they've parted ways, uh, they lost their Martini sponsorship uh, after last year, which has been their title sponsors uh, for, the, for the past couple of years. So now they are rocking the rocket <laughs> if you want to call it that rocket which is a cellular provider and it's kind of cool like they, they say they've gotten away from their traditional colors which they have in a way the car is still predominantly white but instead the dark navy blue that they've had throughout their existence is gone and has been replaced by a, a sort of a, a really light sky blue and then on the the side of the uh, the airbox you have the the rocket uh, in, in bold letters with a with a red o and it looks good. I like it, honestly. And uh, Claire Williams, uh, the the team principal at um, at Williams, said that it basically is your shop window. Your car is your shop window to the world. And uh, they really wanted something that they thought was breathtaking and really captured the eye. And it's different. But she says that her dad, uh, Sir Frank, who's the founder of the team and has uh, stepped away from day-to-day operations, uh, was really uh, approving of it, really liked it as well. And uh, it's, it's nice. It, it's different. It's fresh. And, uh, well, if they feel good about it, <laughs> then that's a good thing. I think they need, obviously, some uh, some positive news. So that uh, will be for the uh, Williams FW42. So uh, but before I move on to some of the other news uh, or the uh, some of the other car launches, there were a couple other stories that uh, that popped up around uh, Williams and some of the different things that, uh, that Claire Williams was talking about over the past uh, couple of days before I move on to Renault and Toro Rosso and Haas. Boy, the Haas looks good, but... Hang on, we'll talk about that in a second. Anyways, uh, Claire says that she's going to go down fighting before uh, quitting on the family's um, struggling Formula One team. And wow, I mean, we've we've talked about this over, well, probably over the past couple of years, how they have really been quite on the, the sharp decline. I mean, you look back only a couple of years, 2014, 2015, 2016, to an extent, uh, they were still pretty competitive. But uh, prior to that, they basically were the best of the rest. Uh, I think it was at 2014 or 20, 2015, they were third in the Constructors' Championship. So you think uh, that they've slipped as far as they have in a relatively short period of time is, uh, is really, really shocking to me. I mean, especially I, I grew up in the late 1980s and the 1990s, of course, when they were really at their, their their pinnacle, and even after the late 1990s, say after Jacques Villeneuve won his uh, one and only World Championship driving a, a Williams, they, they were still competitive. I mean, you look at the cars that uh, that they had in the early 2000s that were driven by Ralph Schumacher and Juan Pablo Montoya. And you should look for it. I'll try and link to it in the show notes if I can find it. Uh, is the uh, I think it was Monza 2004, and it was uh, Juan Pablo Montoya was set what was then the fastest lap ever in Formula One, which uh, I think was only just eclipsed uh, this past year at, uh, at Monza when uh, when Raikkonen went out there and smashed that uh, that that lap record in that time. But uh, that, that was something else. I mean, when, when you think about that, it's that seems like quite a long time ago. I mean, obviously it is now. It's 15 years, which is, uh, is quite frightening because it doesn't seem like it was 15 years ago. But it, it definitely is uh, something that's really stood the test of time. And and you look at all the advances in Formula One over a decade and a half is uh, it's mind boggling. It really, well, I mean, just look at the technology in your home. I mean, uh, I'm sitting here uh, with a brand new uh, laptop that, well, it's not brand new. I've had it for just under a year, but I mean, even that's a long time in technology, but uh, 15 years in Formula One is un- you know, incomparable. Basically, it's such a, a big, big uh, period of time, but to, to think that they've really gone and, and slowly declined and it's been what seven years now coming up in seven years since um pastor maldonado uh unexpectedly won the the, the spanish grand prix for them so they really have uh, fallen away from from their ways and uh well it's one thing not to to, to win races i mean of course uh, some of the bigger teams have really put their well 
relatively big teams compared to Tunt Williams because they were one of the big dogs at one time, of course. But when you think uh, how it's been all all Mercedes the past several years and before that Red Bull and the McLaren, Ferrari, everybody's had their, 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 their turn, but they're still there or thereabouts except for Williams and McLaren, which are the, the, the two interesting ones. And uh, Claire goes, she says that she cares very deeply about the, the reputation of the team and she cares very deeply about the people that work for them. And she wants to make sure that they have a team that they can be proud of and survives for many, many years to come in the sport. And honestly, I, I can't picture a Formula One without uh, without Williams. And I was reading something not too long ago. I believe that since the inception of Formula One in 1950, there have been, I believe it's 150 teams that have disappeared or come and gone from, from Formula One that have either folded or just pulled out of Formula One and gone on to do something else. But that just uh, absolutely blows my mind. And well, I mean, especially when uh, when Bernie Ecclestone was in charge, he was just like, you know, if uh, you've got the money and you've got the, the the resources to be in Formula One, great. If not, well, this is uh, this is it. It's a uh, it's a dogfight, and it's uh, it's not easy. And if you're not up to it, you shouldn't be here. But to, to actually quantify it and put it a number on the amount of uh, teams that have come and gone during that uh, that time in, in 50 years and coming up on the thousandth uh, Grand Prix in just uh, literally a matter of weeks at uh, at Shanghai in China, a little bit uh, later on this spring, that is. Uh, almost an astronomical number when you think about it but just look at the the, the teams that we've seen come and go in the in the past couple of years especially and you look at Caterham for example you remember that uh, that they did that crowdfunding thing they disappeared through what was it the 2015 season i think it was i think it was 2015 i have to go and check but they did this crowdfunding thing to to basically get them back onto the grid for the season finale in uh, in, in Abu Dhabi and uh, i think i i put in 5 pounds or $15, $20, whatever. I can't remember what it was exactly, but um, I did get like this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a little lapel pin. <laughs> but that that seems a, a little bit kind of crazy now. I mean, yeah, sure, it's kind of cool for, for us as fans to be able to contribute in a little way and, and make a difference to get a team there. But at the same time, I mean, it seems almost ludicrous that a Formula One team is uh, on Indiegogo or Kickstarter.com or whatever it might be, uh, drumming up support just so they can make it uh, for the uh, for the final race of the year. But certainly that is not a fate that I would like to see uh, happen to, to, to Williams. And uh, well, Claire Williams is, uh, I love to see the, the, the passion and, and the fight. And I really hope that uh, that she can get it turned around. And if she can't, then hopefully she has the the, the, the presence of mind that, that, that maybe it isn't her time that, that that it's just not a good position for her to be in and if she really cares about the team and wanting it to be around for many more years to come then maybe the right thing to do is step aside maybe maybe let somebody else take uh, take charge and and run that team so well i guess ultimately as long as uh, sir frank williams is uh, is alive that uh, he'll probably have some input in that as long as he's of a sound mind and i'm sure that uh, even though we don't see him trackside in the pits as uh, as we've seen for decades i'm sure or i have a, a pretty good suspicion that uh, that he knows what's going on with the team that's uh, bears his name and has won multiple world championships uh, over the decades but i'm not necessarily going to sit here and advocate that uh, that claire williams needs to go but at some points, as it is in any other sport, it, uh, it it's about performing well and and winning, and uh, especially in uh, in Formula One, that's a, a really difficult thing to do unless you're a team like Ferrari or Mercedes or or Red Bull, because those are honestly the 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 only real three teams that have shot realistically each and every week to go out and and win a race. So at least. From Williams' point of view, they they need to get back up to where they they want to be and uh, and be respectable and, and scoring points again. And uh, Claire went on to say that she believes that uh, team tie-ups dilute Formula One. Those are the uh, the, the words that she used, and she's talking about. Um, the relationships that other teams in the midfield of Formula One have with uh, with the, the bigger manufacturers like Sauber becoming uh, uh, Alfa Romeo, Haas and the for- and the and the Ferrari connection, and then of course you've got Toro Rosso and also uh, Red Bull. Uh, you know there, there's a lot of things going on there, so they're really advocating uh, for um, I guess what they're calling uh, what did she call it now as a diluted parts list, but she says. 
uh, one thing that they're very proud of, and and I agree with this. She says that uh, that they're so they're they're very supportive of the work that uh, that uh, the FIA and FOM are doing to rebuild the parts list because there are a lot. Well, I mean that's been a thing with uh, with Haas basically since they came into the sport uh, four or five years ago. Is just the amount of uh, standardized Ferrari parts that they they put on their cars, and uh, there, there's been a lot of questions like that. And there's the same thing going on now between uh, Red Bull and uh, Toro Rosso, and of course, well, I guess that's one of the benefits of having a, a junior team like that. Uh, but uh, she says that they feel they're, and they're, they're proud of the fact, and rightly so, that they're true constructors uh, because they make every component of the cars in-house themselves, except for the engine, of course, which is a Mercedes. But of course, the the, the rest of the parts in the cars uh, are all designed by them. And uh, that, that that's cool. That That's great. And she says that she believes what is the, the, the DNA of Formula One. If you kind of go back through the, the, the 90s and the 80s, especially in the 60s and the 70s, I mean, you look at some of the great cars that were designed and built and raced during that, uh, that time, uh, time frame. I mean, I did this special on Dan Gurney just before Christmas, it was something that well, it was a it was a cool story to do, and it was a, an interesting one to do. I mean, how many guys like Dan Gurney are there nowadays, or Bruce McLaren, or Jack Brabham that uh, that went out and started their own team and, and built it from scratch and built a car? Certainly, in this uh, this day and age, uh, that that seems to be a long way from uh, from from those days. And uh, I can understand why that uh, that that Williams would be a little bit you know, concerned about that and, and relationships uh, between some of these other teams. And I agree. I think that if you're in Formula One, I think that uh, that, that you should be designing most of the car yourself. It, I know that they were talking about at one point that maybe they could standardize certain uh, components or parts or something like that, that they all are all the same on some cars or all the cars, I should say, rather than each team going out and designing and building their own thing, uh, you know, and uh, as a way to uh, really kind of limit and bring down the, uh, the 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 price and the cost of uh, Formula One. So interesting. So she they're they're very supportive of um, the new rules for 2021 and uh, and beyond to really um, get that uh, that parts list uh, sorted out and really kind of go back to more about what what Formula One's uh, about. Get back to its roots. Get back to its DNA and have the teams uh, build all the uh, the, the different parts uh, that go into a car thems- uh, themselves. But you know, I mean, go just talking about uh, Toro Rosso and Red Bull again. Of course, that uh, Toro Rosso last year started very well. I mean, you look at Gasly in uh, in uh, in Bahrain. What was that? The second or third race of the year. I mean, he was all the way up there in. P- and they were looking really good, but of course that uh, that car, as the season went on, became more of a test bed for the uh, for the Honda engine to really develop it and, and and find out what the problems were and and really do as much as they could to help the engineers at Honda and also to help uh, Red Bull the uh, the mothership team if you want to call it that for for this year for 2019 and certainly I think that um, even though it's uh, probably beneficial in the long run especially for Red Bull that if they're they're going to be engine failures it's uh, it, it's more beneficial to have it to the junior team <laughs> a year ahead of time rather than trying to develop it on the fly and of course that's uh, one of the big uh, issues I think that uh, obviously one of the big issues with uh, McLaren over the, uh, the the past couple of years, the car wasn't up uh, up to snuff, obviously, but also they were basically developing that uh, that Honda engine in real time, and uh, quite often it just uh, did not uh, work out. Passion, drive, and patience—the formula for winning championships—is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right. Well, looking ahead, so the uh, the Renault RS19 was uh, released on uh, on Tuesday, and boy, this is a a, a nice looking car. But <laughs> I have to admit, I, I'm not going to say it's weird, but it definitely is different. I still can't get my mind and my eyes uh, used to the fact uh, to seeing Danny Ricardo in uh, the the black and gold of the uh, the, the the Renault team, and uh, it's cool to see that uh, that they're all ready to go, and they're saying a lot of uh, good things, and uh, they they've really been pumping them their, their themselves up not just uh, this week but over the past uh, couple of months and uh, they've been saying that they're, they're pushing over the red line ahead of the the, the crucial 2019 season and I think that uh, obviously 2019 is very crucial and very important uh, for them because they have flatlined a little bit uh, in their development and I'd really expected to, to see them further up and, and challenging uh, more rather than being stuck in the midfield as they were last year. I know they finished four in the Constructors' Championship, and that, that, that's definitely nothing to, to turn a nose up or be overly critical about. But uh, certainly I expected to see them further up the ch- the, uh, the the track, and uh, I really expected to see them a lot closer to Red Bull than they, than they, than they were. And so th- this is a big deal for them. I mean, obviously they've poured in a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources over the past uh, several years after buying out Lotus and then rebranding it into a factory, into a works team again. But they've gone out and made a big, huge slash. I'd have to say that that the shock uh, driver signing of last year was was Danny Ricardo going to 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 Renault rather than signing a new deal to stay at Red Bull Racing because that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm not alone in in saying this, but it really sounded at the Hungarian Grand Prix, listening to some of the uh, the interviews uh, with uh, Christian Horner at the time, that it seemed like it was just a formality that it uh, that he was going to sign a new contract to stay there. And Christian was indicating that it was basically just dotting I's and crossing T's. So when the, when Danny Ricardo released that little, what was it, 30 or 45 second video on his uh, social media channels, honestly, I was uh, not expecting that. I was I was on holiday myself at the time because that was during the uh, the, the summer break. And I wasn't really paying too much attention uh, to things. I mean, typically those uh, two or three weeks uh, during the summer break, the, the the news around Formula One literally goes on holiday as well. There's a little bit after the Hungarian Grand Prix, and of course, it usually starts to wind up again uh, just before the, the 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 Belgian Grand Prix, which typically uh, starts off the second half of the season. But that really caught me by surprise, and I, I literally just uh, happened to uh, pull out my phone at the, the the right moment because I was waiting for everybody to uh, meet out front of the hotel and get in the car as we were going to go off to a, for a day trip. So I was just sitting there outside where we were staying in the sun, enjoying the warmth and just checking some emails and checking my Twitter. And I saw that I'm like, wow. Anyways, uh, they have made a big splash and that that's going to be a, a team definitely to, to watch. And they have been, uh, re- like I say, they've really been pumping their own tires and saying all the right things. And uh, again, this week, what with the, the, the release, they've been saying that they've made a substantial step forward in the development of their, their engine this year. Of course, what that actually means, well, or, or how that's, well, I know what it means, but how that actually uh, really translates to performance on the track is is something that we're going to have to see during testing. And then, of course, uh, once uh, racing starts in just over a month, and uh, they're they're really uh, saying that they really believe that's going to help them bridge the gap to the top three teams of uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, and and hopefully so. Uh, I've said for years I've re- I've really wanted to see more head to head racing between, say, Sebastian Vettel and uh, and Lewis Hamilton, but more than just saying seeing the two top dogs fighting and scrapping it out a uh, weekend in and weekend out at the at the front of the field it would be nice to see more more challengers challenging Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull have done their best to to really stick their nose in there and they've they've been the spoiler on occasions and they've uh, they've had some good results over the past uh, several years just maybe not as often as as some of us uh, may may want but it would be nice to see more teams uh, being able to to challenge for that and I guess that's maybe the the age-old uh, complaint or desire of uh, you know different uh, different people and different fans in Formula One, but uh, certainly Renault has proven over the years that they are more than capable of uh, designing cars and engines and uh, and winning races and and winning world championships. And uh, we'd like to see it again. I mean, obviously, it seems like uh, again I'm <laughs> going back to the early 2000s. I was talking a little bit earlier about Montoya's uh, fastest lap ever in 2004. I mean, go back now and think about Fernando Alonso's double 
double for two world championships in what was it 2005 and 2006 when uh, when he was driving for for Renault and boy that uh, that certainly does seem a long time ago I, I'm dating myself and dating all of us I suppose but uh, time marches on as uh, they say but uh, certainly uh, Renault are, are certainly really well, they're, they're, they're certainly really saying that they're doing all the right things. And, uh, well, well, now it's really a time to say put up and, uh, or, or shut up, really. Uh, because, uh, you know, they're either going to be making these steps to becoming more of a contender, becoming more of a challenger, or it's just going to be more of the same, that uh, they're just going to be stuck in the midfield and, and it'll just be a case of, well, they had great ambitions when they came back into Formula One. They did the right thing and they helped uh, save another team uh, disappear from the grid, but ultimately they just uh, weren't able to, to get it done. And <laughs> honestly, that, uh, that latter scenario seems a little bit hard to grasp when you think of a, a car manufacturer with the size and the resources and, and all the knowledge in in it, like Renault, uh, just it, it seems almost unfathomable to, to me that they won't be able to, to build a team and build a car that is uh, capable of uh, winning races and, and really being a, a contender in Formula One. But of course, as they say, proof is in the pudding and uh, it, it really depends and uh, what what they're able to do on the track. And uh, certainly uh, they, they need to step it up and, and move it forwards uh, from what uh, where they were over the, say, the, the last 18 months. But uh, surreal had to be had said, uh, oh, I guess it was about two months ago now, I think it was somewhere before Christmas that they made uh, a number of changes or added more key personnel about 18 months ago or a year ago, something like that. And he believed that uh, that it takes that amount of time for, for new people in different areas to, to really make their contribution and then collectively uh, or I guess as a group start to, to, to implement these changes and then uh, see and feel the benefits of it. And he felt confident at that time earlier this winter that those changes were there and uh, that, uh, that things were going in uh, the, the, the right direction. But uh, Danny Ricardo said that uh, Renault's not lacking compared to, to Red Bull. And uh, he said that he doesn't believe that it's mi- missing any key aspect. It needs to be successful in Formula One. And uh, even though he said uh, himself, he's not expecting a podium finish so i don't know it's kind of like yeah everything's great you know they're they're not lacking anything compared to where i came from but you know still i'm not expecting to finish uh, uh, on the podium and uh he said uh, that there isn't anything that he has he's seen at the factory yet that uh, he's like well okay well red bull has this but you guys need that and uh, he says that there isn't really any area that uh, he he believes that Renault was lacking or anything that they they really need and uh still <laughs> i i guess uh, maybe it's uh, best to to be a little bit understated if you're Danny Ricardo coming into a new new team into a new situation and before really uh getting getting a feel of it maybe it's best to be concerned and just say that uh, you're not expecting the results to be there in the first season. You're not expecting to, to be on the podium, but that doesn't mean that they can't have a good year. If, if they can move forward and score more points and uh, and, and finish up, even if, even if they don't improve on their place in the world championship, in the constructors this year, say they still finish fourth behind uh, Red Bull or uh, Ferrari or Mercedes or wh- whichever. I mean, those are still obviously going to be the three teams that everybody else is going to be chasing. But if Renault finishes fourth against uh, this year, I don't think that's anything negative against uh, them as long as that they're able to improve upon the the, the number of uh, points that they, they had in the Constructors' Championship last year. They're able to move forward because that is really the one tangible thing. I mean, if you can improve on that place, you can at least uh, improve on the points hall because you know that as a team things are going right you're scoring points more regularly and they got obviously got a very good pairing of drivers with uh, Daniel Ricardo and uh, Nico Hulkenberg and you have to think that if um, that if those guys aren't going to score points regularly for them if if they got a good car and a good engine and by all accounts uh, from the the the, the management uh, and the PR people at Renault that it certainly seems like uh, they they certainly do but uh, Renault's also saying that uh, that's going to be super tight to get the new car ready for um, for testing at Barcelona next week, and you, it really is amazing when you when you think about it that when we get to the first race of the year in in Melbourne. And it doesn't seem like very long until you get to the, basically the beginning of the summer when the chatter already starts up that the teams are starting to uh, look more ahead to the, the the next year and start design for the next year's car. And they're not really developing the current year's car. You know, they'll, they'll make some tweaks here and there.
there. And of course, they have different uh, dates and times throughout the year where they have uh, different updates available and they make improvements here and there. Typically, the first round of updates always come at the, the Spanish Grand Prix because that is the first European race of uh, the, the year at the beginning or the middle of May after they, you know, they go to Australia, China, Bahrain, all these uh, different uh, uh, different uh, racetracks in the, in the first uh, quarter of the season. And of course, once they get back to European soil, because all the teams are, are basically all based there, that's, that, that's where the first round of updates uh, come. So <laughs> it, uh, it really is fascinating uh, that they can develop a car in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it's not really long. I mean, we're, it's not really all that long ago since last summer. And uh, to, to think that they've, uh, all the teams have uh, developed brand new cars is uh, absolutely, uh, it's impressive. It, it always impresses me that uh, that each and every year they, uh, they have uh, different cars, brand new cars. I mean, you kind of look back to the, the, the 1990s, there was a lot of times the, uh, the FW14B, which was so dominant in, uh, in the, the early 1990s, they, they raced it for a, a portion of a year or even more. And uh, sometimes, you know, the new cars wouldn't be available until several races into the, 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 the new season. And uh, that was just the way it was back then. So it, it, it's pretty cool to be able to see 10 different teams built or, and design 10 different cars and have them all ready to go uh, at, at basically the, uh, the the same time. I mean, testing, of course, but uh, they're all on the grid with their new cars in Melbourne each and every week. It's uh, it's, it's It's pretty cool to see. So then, of course, the the other two two teams that uh, that have uh, released their cars are uh, to date uh, are Toro Rosso, uh, sorry Toro Rosso and uh, Haas, and the, uh, the the VF19 is uh, is the Haas, and it looks really good. And the STR14 is uh, this year's uh, Toro Rosso, still very similar to last year's uh, car with that sort of it's uh, sort of a. a a medium blue with the really cool silver lettering and the, uh, the, the, the Red Bull, uh, uh, sponsorship on it. And then also the Red Bull Cola on the, uh, the, the rear wings and the big silver bull on the side of the, uh, the air boxes. It's a nice looking car, but the Haas, boy, did they really, uh, get it right with the, uh, with the livery. So gone is the, the, the gray and the red and the white of, uh, Haas CNC, which is, um, Gene Haas's, uh, other company, which has been the, uh, the, the, the big, uh, sponsor for the team. And they've uh, partnered up with, uh, Rich Energy, which is a, it's, it's a little known and basically a brand new energy drinks, uh, company, uh, from, from London. And it's a cool looking car. It's a, it's a jet black, a glossy black with the gold, uh, lettering all over it. And boy, it looks like the old, Lotus cars of the, I guess, the late seventies uh, and the early nineteen eighties. I'm sure everybody's seen those uh, pictures, the, the gloss black and the, and the and the gold lettering on it, and it looks spectacular. It looks really, really good. Whether or not Kevin Magnuson or uh, Roman Grosjean can be as uh, good and successful in that car as uh, Mario Andretti was uh, in those days in the uh, in, in the John Player special um, uh, sponsored uh, Lotus that uh, that remains to be seen. But it is a very very nice looking car. All right. Well, moving ahead from the the different uh, car launches that we've seen, and of course, like I said, uh, today is a big day with uh, several teams uh, releasing on on Wednesday. February 13th. So of course, sadly, that's just the way that it goes. When you do a weekly podcast, there's always something com- that comes out immediately after you release it to the to the world and you, and you put it out there. I have that all the time with uh, the other show that we do uh, for, for soccer and Major League Soccer here. And uh, it seems every time that you, you interview a coach or a player and, and you put that interview out, it, it seems always something happens within the first 24 hours of release that uh, almost makes that, uh, that interview uh, redundant. But hey, that's just uh, my complaint. Anyways, uh, just moving along. Let's. The, the, there were several stories that uh, that were out on uh, different uh, outlets uh, this week, and uh, they're all uh, kind of they, they follow the same sort of um, uh, thread to them. And the first one is um, uh, Charles Leclerc could force Sebastian Vettel to reach a new level, and uh, that's according to uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel's former team boss, and that's uh, Christian uh, Horner. And I think this is great. I think that um, that, that the changes that uh, they made at Ferrari last year I think that it needed to happen and that's uh, that's no disrespect to, to Kimi Raikkonen because uh, obviously I think that uh, the last third of 2018 I think he did very well and uh, he was rewarded with uh, the form and the speed that he found at the end of last year with uh, a win at uh, the Circuit of Americas at the U.S. Grand Prix in October whenever it was and uh, well 
it, it was a difficult year. Let's face it. I mean, we, we don't need to get into it again. Sebastian Vettel made his mistakes. Ferrari made their mistakes. They struggled throughout the, the year at times. And at the end, it, uh, it, it got the better of them. And it was a season that, that got away from them. So the thing that I found in all the years that, uh, that, that I've covered uh, top-level sports is it's interesting to see the, uh, the, the mindset of uh, men and women who are elite athletes. And most, most of the, 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 the players that I deal with are in, uh, in soccer at the club and national level. But just in general, I mean, there's going to be differences, obviously, between soccer and uh, and Formula One, but the, just uh, mindset-wise, I always find it uh, interesting that just w- what makes a person tick, and it, it just uh, the, the attitudes and the things that uh, that they do to really push themselves and, and to succeed and do what needs to 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 be done, and uh, it 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 really is a fascinating thing. And what's what sometimes I find inspiring or interesting or mind blowing or profound in some cases seems to be so ordinary for them. But uh, be that as it may, I think that uh, what the problems that uh, Ferrari had that, you know, you can't really dwell on it too long, because that's the one thing that I found is that these men and women, uh, you know, these top uh, athletes that uh, when something goes wrong, you know, they're able to accept it. And then in, in most cases, they're able to accept it and, and then look at what uh, went wrong and then take those lessons learned and apply it to the future. And I've, I've maintained over the past couple of years, I think that's that even though it was a comfortable uh, driver partnership between Riken and Vettel, and, you know, they're quite friendly with uh, each other. And there's no doubt, obviously, that the team has come forward over the past several years. I mean, they've had a very competitive car, especially in the last uh, two years. And uh, I just think that that Vettel not was wasn't always necessarily pushed as much as necessary by uh, by by uh, Kimi Raikkonen and I think that uh, just naturally he was just that that little bit uh, quicker than Kimi uh, most of the time um and what I've seen in different sports is that when you have that competition within a team, especially when uh, when I've seen it in in soccer, when you have one or two guys or sometimes three players all trying for the same starting spot, same starting position, you get that competition. You know, it it can be pretty intense, and it needs to be managed properly by the by the management and the coach of that uh, that team because as we've seen you know with Nico uh, Rosberg and uh, and Lewis Hamilton that if things go bad in a partnership within a team then it gets pretty bad and obviously that uh, Hamilton Rosberg thing was about as toxic and nasty as it can get i mean if you want to go back a generation or two look at uh, how bad it got between Ayrton Senna and uh, Alain Prost in their time at uh, at McLaren way back in the day but uh, you know i i do think that having a guy like uh, Charles Leclerc and of course the sample that we have of Charles in formula 1 is very small he's only been in formula 1 for one year but what he did was impressive and i think that uh, that Sebastian Vettel I think that he would benefit from having that I mean I'm not to say that uh, that Charles is going to be quicker than Sebastian straight out of the gate maybe he is who knows we'll we'll find out uh, soon enough but I think that uh, that having a guy that is so highly um, regarded and as such a talent at such a young age, I think could be good motivation for Sebastian. And especially when coming off of the heels of the season that he had, when he has to realize, I'm sure he must realize that that was the season that, that got away. And while all the, um, all the, the, the praise is going to Lewis Hamilton for winning his fifth world championship. And, you know, he's tied with Fangio now, and now he's only got to hunt down. So uh, Michael Schumacher uh, to become the, the, the best of all time. Sebastian must be thinking, gosh, you know, that could have been me. Everybody could be talking about me being, you know, tied with Fangio. And now I'm going to be the guy that's going to chase down Michael Schumacher because of course he's, he's German, just like Michael is driving for Ferrari. And uh, of course, yeah, I'm sh- obviously he wants to win uh, a world championship at Ferrari, at least if not more, I'm sure of it. So I think that uh, the, the, the first thing is to, to get a little bit more stability in the, in, in the team, because uh, I've been very critical 
critical about uh, Sebastian Vettel at times and the mistakes and the problems that he's had. But of course, a lot of that, I think, can be uh, taken off him to a certain extent because uh, a lot of the strategy from Ferrari over the years hasn't been great. It's improved, but, you know, there's still a, a way to go. And, you know, maybe I have been a little bit too harsh on him at times, but I mean, he is a four-time world champion. And if, in my mind, if you're a quadruple world champion, then you're held to a different standard because... You know, you're not a Roman Grosjean, you're not a Kevin Magnussen, you're not a Carlos Sainz or whoever, you are Sebastian Vettel, you've won it four times, you've, you've been able to to get it done. So, you know, that's just uh, my two cents on it, but uh, certainly I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with uh, with Charles and if uh, Charles can light a, a little bit of a, a fire underneath him or or maybe not, maybe just coming off of the season that uh, that they had in 2018 is going to be motivation enough for Sebastian Vettel because it was, it was interesting to see some of the body language and the, the way that, uh, that that he was kind of reacting around uh, Lewis Hamilton and some of those races later in the year in Mexico and then at the at the end of the year in Abu Dhabi just the, the the way I mean he was very sporting he was he was very very classy about it and uh, well I, I mean as I, I would expect I mean uh, Sebastian uh, for me has never necessarily been one of those guys that's been you know oh geez that guy's a real jerk no <laughs> nothing of it I mean he was very gracious uh, in defeat and he was very classy about it but uh, you, you could just kind of tell that uh, it, to me it looked like a he was a guy that uh, I, I, th- I think it really struck a chord with him uh, personally so hopefully uh, he's found all the motivation learned all the lessons that he need to and hopefully the team now under Mattia Bonato uh, now that uh, Riva Bene is out of the picture will be um, you know looking to improve on their shortcomings and and supporting Sebastian in, in the ways that uh, that he needs to be supported so you can take some of these uh, little things out of uh, out of his say his decision making process in the uh, during the course of a race because you know you just need to go out there and set the lap times that uh, that you need to do you need to go out there and do the job that needs to be done and you know you need to do it without the, uh, the with the minimum amount of distraction because there's there's enough things that you need to do when you're in the cockpit of the car and enough things that you need to manage during the course of the race rather than worrying in the back of your mind you know is my team going to screw up my pit stop again and or whatever it might be have they picked the you know made, made the right choice of strategy to to bring me in at the right time Am I on the right tires? All these uh, different things, and then of course we can go back to the uh, the order and the qualifying at uh, at Monza last year. You know they had this thing that if one was qualified or went first in Q three one weekend, then the next race it was the other guy's turn. And uh, and last year it was uh, Sebastian that went out in first in Q three. So Raikkonen got that toe. He ends up setting the, uh, the 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 fastest time of the session, takes pole position, and then Sebastian ends up uh, behind Lewis Hamilton. And of course they have a coming together uh, about uh, a third of the way through the the, the first lap and then that basically <laughs> ruined that uh, ruined that opportunity for for Vettel that day to to challenge Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, th- there's like a lot of things that they needed to improve upon, and uh, certainly just uh, from that that point of view or that one aspect of uh, having a young, hard charging, up and coming driver in Charles Leclerc being you know touted the next best thing, coming up against the uh, the, the four time world champion and Sebastian Vettel that needs to uh, you know get back on track is going to be a really really fun situation to watch in my opinion but talking about other former former uh world champions uh well, I should, I should be a, a little bit careful how I work this. Talking about uh, former world uh, champions, I was going to say, and, uh, and uh, Antonio Giovinazzi says that uh, he's for, lucky to have uh, Raikkonen as a teammate. So obviously Raikkonen is a former world champion and not Antonio Giovinazzi. So these are the two Alfa Romeo drivers. And of course, uh, Giovinazzi has uh, taken Charles Leclerc's seat at uh, at Alfa Romeo, formerly Sauber, uh, for this year. And of course, uh, Raikkonen moved over to uh Alpha last year after uh, you know not being uh, given the chance to renew for another year or two at uh, at Ferrari and of course if if you're a young driver like uh, Antonio Giovinazzi who, who showed a couple of moments here or there and some of the brief cameos that he had uh, at, was it two years ago when he was filling in for Pascal Verlein uh, after he was in that accident at the race of champions um, I thought that uh, Giovinazzi uh, he, he acquitted himself fairly well of course he had that unfortunate spin on the straightaway at uh, 
in China that didn't really look all that great. Of course, the the track was a little damp, so I guess maybe that can be his mulligan, and we'll we'll uh, you know give him cut him a bit of slack for for that one. But if you have a guy like uh, Kimi Raikkonen that's uh, been in the in, in the sport and has uh, raced for a competitive team basically right from the very beginning, was won a world championship, you know, has come uh, you know pretty close. Uh, I mean. That that's a great situation uh, to to be in. I'm sure that he will be like a sponge and absorb every little bit that uh, that he can from from Kimmy. And uh, over the next uh, course of the next year or two years, Kimmy, of course, has got a two year deal at uh, at Alpha, and I'm sure by the time that's up, he'll be uh, 41 and he'll be ready to hang up his uh, gloves and his helmet and uh, and call it a career, and then go on to whatever it is that Kimmy Riken wants to go next. But certainly. Uh, I think that Antonio Giovinazzi will try and, uh, and learn as much as he can. Maybe one of the secrets he should be trying to learn from Kimmy is how to become so popular. <laughs> it's always quite uh, interesting because, I mean, uh, he, you know, publicly, the the, the way that he uh, he, uh, he he conducts himself is uh, in Formula One. It's I mean, he's like a cult figure. It it always surprises me, like how popular he actually is. But you know, everybody is always hanging on every word Kimi Raikkonen says and there really isn't very much and I mean some of the the, the quotes that Kimi Raikkonen has made over the years are absolutely uh, uh, you know classic I think it was going back about 10 or 15 years at the the Brazilian Grand Prix and I think Martin Brundle was uh, uh doing the, uh, the the post-race interviews and I think that Pele was doing the uh, the, the podium ceremony and handing out the trophies that year anyways uh, he went to go and talk to Kimmy and he said oh where have you been uh, he said uh, do you, did you miss uh, Pele are you going to regret that to which Kimmy replied no not really I was just taking a SH you know whatever <laughs> you know so it's a classic Kimmy you know he just uh, calls it uh, calls it like he sees it you know <laughs> so no I was just taking care of business, doing what I needed to do, you know, quite blunt and uh, to the point. And actually that, uh, there, there was that, uh, book of haiku that, uh, that, that was put out by that mission win now, uh, just, uh, before Christmas, uh, you know, Ferrari's uh, sponsorship and the, uh, I've got a copy of it uh, right here uh, in the studio and it's a uh, Kimmy's book of haiku and it's, uh, it's brilliant. I got a copy of it uh, for Christmas and, uh, you know, it's, it's not very th- thick. It's not a very big book, but, uh, certainly, <laughs> The, the the haiku is a, definitely a form of poetry that is uh, you know well suited to, to, to Kimi Raikkonen. However, I'm sure coming from Antonio Giovinazzi, his point of view is that he's going to want, want to learn everything on a track on how to be a great uh, Grand Prix driver, how to race well, how to win, how to become a world champion, all those other things. And hey, if you can uh, pick up uh, some tips on how to be so popular and be so charismatic as Kimi Raikkonen, well, that's probably a bonus as well. All right, so finally, the last driver comparison is uh, between uh, the two Red Bull drivers, Pierre Gasly and uh, Max Verstappen. And Pierre says that he believes that his teammate is the perfect reference to have in his first season with a top Formula One team. So, well, that's uh, that's a, a really interesting situation to to look at as well. And of course, uh, Max uh, impressed very early and very quickly in his uh, Formula One uh, career. I mean, he's only 21 uh, now, and I mean, he won his first race after after being elevated from the Toro Rosso into Red Bull when he won at the Spanish Grand Prix a couple of years ago. And um, Gasly, I mean, he's shown his talent uh, from, from time to time. And, and and last year, I certainly don't think we saw uh, enough of it. And I think that had a lot to, to do with uh, basically what they were doing at Toro Rosso to help uh, develop the, the, the Honda engine for, for this year. And I think the, the results for, for both uh, Pierre Gasly and, uh, and his former teammates uh, Brendan Hartley, I think they suffered uh, a little bit uh, at times when they were focused more on the bigger picture rather than, say, individual or, or team results. And basically, uh, you know, we're taking one for the team and, and, and looking towards finding all the faults and, and, and pushing their Honda engines as far as they could go. And if that meant that the engine or one of its components failed as of a uh, result of what they were doing, then, hey, that was just uh, the price of uh, doing business and, and, the, and the cost that, uh, that, uh, that, that was just associated with it. But anyway, I mean that that I guess was maybe a little bit of a, a surprise that uh, after after Ricardo had announced his move uh, to to Renault 
that uh, Gasly was uh, promoted to being uh, Max Verstappen's uh, teammate. And, you know, honestly, I don't have a problem with uh, with age when it comes uh, to drivers. I know there's always been that uh, discussion, and there, we had this discussion last year when uh, Gasly, or sorry, not Gasly, but uh, Leclerc was confirmed for uh, Ferrari because it's only happened one or two times uh, over their, their entire history that they've gone with uh, with with a young driver, and they, they typically don't, regardless uh, of how, how talented they were. And it's just interesting to, to watch Max Verstappen's career because there there was some talk a couple of years ago it was just uh, you know from from his dad Yoss of course he's also a, a former Formula One driver about uh, you know what's what's Max going to do what does his career look like and there, there was an opportunity at one point I think for him to move from Toro Rosso to become like I think it was like a reserve driver maybe a simulator driver at uh, Mercedes and they just decided to stay put uh, with where they were. And that, uh, well, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but uh, of course now it looks like a, a brilliant decision because, uh, unfortunately, if you're a Danny Kvyat uh, at any rate, uh, who he just couldn't help but crash into Sebastian Vettel at the the most inopportune moments, and then of course he got dumped uh, from from Red Bull and was uh, demoted back to uh, Toro Rosso, if you want to call it that, and then coming up the other way was uh, was Max Verstappen. So, you know, it's just uh, it, it's interesting to see. But, um, you know, I mean, Max's career has definitely uh, paid off. And it's interesting to see uh, another young guy in uh, in Pierre Gasly kind of looking towards uh, Max and kind of really using him as a, as a reference point. Because, I, I mean, Max obviously is one of the best drivers we have in Formula 1 at the moment. I mean, almost every time there's a Grand Prix, secretly in the back of my mind, I'm praying for some rain because every, every time it, uh, it gets wet, it, it's just it, it's awesome to watch. Max doing what he does. I mean, uh, Schumacher was always praised for how good he was in uh, in the wet, and same with Ayrton Senna. And uh, th- that's makes what the you know really sets apart the the good drivers from the the, the great drivers. I mean, uh, it, it's I mean they're all fast. Don't get me wrong, but uh, to to be able to do it in uh, in a variety of different uh, conditions, be them optimal or slightly less than optimal or or downright horrible, like we've seen at times over the years. And uh, when we uh, watch uh, Max, what was it in 2016 in Brazil? Wow, that was uh, that was something amazing. Just watching the where, you know watching him go around cars every which way he could, and and finding every single inch of space on the track and just finding grip anywhere be it on the racing line or off the racing line in the wet in the dry depending on the track conditions it was impressive to watch so it's a it's a I I do agree with Gasly I do think it's a good reference for him because Max has really proven at such a young age already that you know he he is more than good enough uh, for Formula One. Obviously, he's more than good enough, and uh, he's been able to win. He's uh, obviously been able to establish himself as one of the top guys in Formula One. And when you've got like that that real closeness in age, like you have between Verstappen and, and Gasly, and you have that sort of that commonality of uh, you know the Torosso and Red Bull, then there are a lot of different uh, different aspects that uh, that Gasly can. Can, can really learn from and, and really apply to his own situation in, in Formula One. And if he's got a good relationship with uh, with Max, and there's there's no suggestion that uh, that they don't get along, uh, that uh, that that could be a really beneficial thing for them. I mean, uh, we, we we can talk about uh, Rosberg and Hamilton uh, until the cows come home, <laughs> just to, to to prove or have a case study of how not to have a situation or a relationship uh, between uh, your your two drivers because it's just it's completely bad. So, uh, I think it's good, obviously, and uh, we'll have to see how good Gasly actually is now that he's got uh, the, the benefit of having a, a Red Bull underneath him with a Honda engine in the back. So, it should be uh, fun to watch. Okay, so getting away now from uh, talking about some of the, 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 the drivers and things like that, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the business side of Formula One as we start to wrap it up and wind it down for this week. And uh, McLaren has uh, released the starting date for Andreas Seidel, who is uh, the former Porsche LMP1 chief, and he's going to start his new role as the managing director for McLaren at the beginning of May this uh, year. And uh, Seidel's move was uh, announced about a month ago, but they didn't re- reveal his uh, starting date 
date at that uh, point. So he will uh, commence uh, his uh, work with McLaren at May 1st, just after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And uh, obviously, um, McLaren CEO Zach Brown is uh, over the moon and really happy about that. And that also uh, comes in tandem with the uh, with the other announcement that they made uh, previously with uh, the uh, the appointment of James Key from Toro Rosso. Uh, who's also really expected or really hoping uh, is going to be able to help uh, turn their fortunes around. And Seidel, uh, he's obviously got quite the resume. I mean, he's got previous F1 experience with Williams and BMW. Excuse me. And then he also led uh, BMW's return into DTM. And then uh, after that, uh, he switched uh, to, to Porsche. So uh, certainly, uh, you know, the addition of those two guys, uh, both um, both this year and uh, hopefully with the, what the work that they've done uh, off the track is uh, going to lead to good or lead to positive things and uh, and lead to improvement uh, for McLaren. Because very much uh, like uh, Williams, uh, another big name that is, uh, you know, fallen on hard times obviously and slid back to the back of the grid and uh of course uh like williams they they do have the resources and they they, they do have the know-how and uh hopefully once they have the the, the leadership and the, uh, the the people there to really guide and and move that team along uh, maybe from some, some of the people that uh, that have been there in the past that uh could be a very good uh, thing for them but then uh, talking about McLaren, they've signed a deal with a uh, British American uh, tobacco. And, uh, you know, that was a bit of an interesting one because uh, it's it's funny to see in this day and age or here in this day and age, anybody really uh, signing up and, uh, and, and making uh, a partnership or tobaccos or sponsoring with a tobacco company. Because, I mean, it's not like the 80s or even the, the, the 90s any, anymore. I mean, uh, tobacco sponsorship is just banned uh, basically anywhere. I mean, everybody knows in this day and age just how bad smoking is for you. Still sometimes uh, surprise, uh, surprises me in face of that, that people still do. But hey, you know, if you like to smoke, you do you. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, nothing to do with me, obviously. But yeah, so I, I mean, it, it is interesting uh, to see that they're, they're going to do that. And of course, uh, uh, British American Tobacco, they do have previous in- involvement in Formula One. They bought the... Uh, what was the Tyrrell team in 1997 and they uh, formerly entered uh, Formula One as a as a as a team as a manufacturer in 1999 and they, they renamed Tyrrell to uh, British American Racing and then that, of course that's uh, gone uh, you know gone on from there they didn't win a, a Grand Prix until they became the works Honda outfit in 2000 year or sorry 2006 and then uh, after that the stricter tobacco uh, advertising uh, pushed uh, British American tobacco into more of a peripheral role. So, you know, they're, they're still around, but uh, I suppose, uh, you know, there are ways uh, to do it because I mean, Ferrari is uh, still sponsored by Philip Morris, which is the, the, the parent company of uh, Marlboro, who were a longtime sponsor of them. And of course, uh, McLaren and uh, well, Ferrari, or at least Philip Morris is uh, a little bit under the microscope because there's this uh, investigation going on at the moment that their mission win now uh, thing that they introduced towards the end of uh, last year and uh, that uh, Kimmy's book of haiku that's uh, actually put out uh, by uh, mission win now. And uh, so the, the wording, you know, to me, it just sounds as being a native English speaker, sounds like a bunch of uh, random English words kind of mashed together. That kind of sounds like it makes sense. But when you think about it a, a little bit deeper, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really. But anyways, um, it, this Mission Win Now uh, sponsorship thing, uh, it came out in Japan and it's more of a scientific, uh, scientific and technological push from Philip Morris to move the its business away from reliance on tobacco product, products that uh, was really made famous by Marlboro and I guess the Marlboro man and all that sort of stuff. But <clears throat> they're, the, the problem that they're having is uh, with that is um, the, uh, the the logo that they had. You know, it says mission, especially on the the, the, the rear wing of the, uh, the the cars. It says the mission and then it's sort of mirrored and it says win now. So the whole thing is uh, supposedly... I guess the the beef is that it looks a little bit like the Chevron shape or the uh, the, the the previous Marlboro uh, sponsorship uh, from from years gone by. But the uh, Philip Morris uh, believes that they did all their homework, and uh, well, the the whole thing is it, it's sort of being investigated uh, by the Australian Communications and Media Authority. But they reckon that they had everything all all sorted out uh, beforehand, <clears throat> so they don't seem too concerned about it. So I guess watch this space. 
And then uh, also uh, another interesting one was uh, another quote uh, from from Christian Horner. And he, he seems to really have some good uh, quotes every uh, once in a while. But uh, he said uh, that uh, he believes that uh, uh, Liberty Media thought that uh, F1 was low-hanging fruit when they, they bought the, the, the sport off of uh, Bernie Ecclestone a, a couple of years ago. And he was um, asked by, um, well, this comes in the wake of the, uh, the, uh, the, the criticism from some of the race promoters that uh, Liberty is uh, doing in their in their management of formula one and uh, just the the whole lack of progress i mean it really seems there's a, a real like the the introduction or the the, the movement on the post 2020 uh, rules and regulations it's just become a, a quagmire and uh and and horner feels that or he's at least suggesting that there's a there there's problem there and when he was asked about it he said i think that there was uh Sorry, I'll say that again. I think they probably thought there was some low-hanging fruit there and has proved an awful lot harder than they thought. You know, honestly, I think that's a, that, that's a fair comment. I think that, uh, that there was... I guess an idea that they had and what what they wanted to do and uh, their, their vision. I don't know if they they necessarily thought that Formula One was a uh, low hanging fruit, but I definitely think that they had their vision for the sport and they were going to take it and do with, with it what they wanted to. And uh, some of the you know they're just not being able to to move things uh, forward as as quickly as they wanted to. I mean they they know how to get these things done. They know the entertainment side of things. I think that uh, what what Christian thing is, or what Christian is saying that they're finding a lot harder to push through these changes is, uh, is is a lot more difficult than they anticipated because they really seem to to want like a consensus from everyone which you know honestly isn't a bad way to do it i think that just at the level of formula 1 with the egos and the money and the prestige and all of that involved is just going to make it uh, a lot more difficult and maybe that's why bernie ecclestone was so successful because he was that one personality that in in a, in a world of alpha dogs he was the alpha dog of the alpha dogs and 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 his rule and his word was what went and and if you didn't like it tough <laughs> you know if if you didn't like bernie's version of formula 1 then you didn't have to take part in bernie's ver- version of formula 1 and you didn't need to be there and uh and he he would uh bluntly say it and put it to you that way and uh, perhaps maybe uh, liberty media wouldn't be uh too i i guess uh i guess they wouldn't be too far gone or it wouldn't be a bad thing for them to take a page out of bernie's uh, book and just be a little bit more forceful i guess you could uh, really say that uh, or maybe point to the example that they did do that to a certain extent with the uh, the, the way that they pushed through the changes on the, uh, the the wings for this year which is interesting if you, you should go and look at some of the car launches that have been made this uh, uh, this week especially look at the, uh, the the Renault they do have this sort of slider so you can look at the difference between the cars on different angles and uh, and different views and see the changes especially to the wings and the cars and everything like that it's very interesting anyways that's a, a bit of a tangent anyhow I, I do think that uh, that the Bernie was the kind of guy that uh, was able to, to, to really uh, take Formula One by the scruff of its neck and, and really kind of uh, force his way through. And I think that uh, that Formula One, or sorry, Liberty Media should do the same thing because they, even Ross Braun was uh, lamenting that uh, that not so long ago, that although he really felt that there was a lot of positive uh, dialogue between the the Formula One and, and, and all the teams, that that there was really a lack of, uh, of, of movement. So Maybe that's where they need to to be a bit more forceful. That there seems to be a like a consensus, or there seems to be agreement. It's just being able to to, to force it through from from there. So, uh, well, we'll have to see what uh, how they go. But certainly, it's a, it's kind of interesting to to hear some criticism like that because that was not something I was uh, really uh, expecting to, to hear. And maybe that uh, the, what you can read a little bit uh, between the lines, and maybe Christian's saying is that, you know there's no room for Mister Nice Guy in Formula One. So. Maybe that's uh, what it's going to take. And then finally, just to, uh, to wrap it up, uh, there was one other uh, piece of news that uh, Formula One has lost its Middle East broadcaster over uh, piracy problems. And uh, that was uh, Qatar-based uh, BN Sports. They've been the, uh, the the company that have had the rights uh, for Formula One, rumored to be something, uh, a deal that cost them uh, about $30 million a year. And they've uh, been the uh, been the uh, provider, the, the, the rights holder in the Middle East uh, for the past uh, several years. And it's one of their top 20 markets which you know makes a lot of sense when you think about it but uh so they're going to have to be uh, looking for new broadcast uh, partner now uh, now that BN is out and uh, so basically the problem that they've had is uh, there's a pirate channel called Be Out Q 
I guess hopefully I'm not pronouncing that uh, wrong and pronouncing it uh, similar or, or at least from an, uh, an English speaker's point of view. And they've, uh, well, basically what's uh, been happening is that they've been uh, broadcasting uh, or illegally broadcasting F1 continent across the Middle East. And uh, that's uh, what uh, has decided or been the factor that uh, BN has decided uh, that's just not worth it uh, for them to, to do uh, any longer. So interesting that uh, that, that should happen and unfortunate as well. And uh, well, last year F1, uh, they'd vowed to take action over uh, the the activities of this uh, pirate channel and uh, it led to measures being implemented in, in other sports and uh, the, the, the the statement that Formula One issued last year was Formula One takes intellectual property infringement of this nature extremely seriously we are looking into the issue and those are that are involved and will take appropriate action. So um, this was an article that came from motorsport.com and uh, they have contact Formula One for, for comments. But as of now, there's been uh, no reply. So, uh, well, if you're in the Middle East, hopefully you'll be able to find somewhere to find uh, Formula One uh, when the when the first race goes down in just over a month time. But uh, certainly if you're in that part of the world, the, uh, the, the timing is rather unfortunate and uh, well, certainly it's just uh, unfortunate that uh, you know a, a pirate broadcaster has uh, you know caused uh, you know a, a lot of uh, uh, frustration and uh, now it's an unfortunate for those that are doing things the right way and you know paying the money to be in sports uh, to to be able to watch legitimately are now stuck to not being able to watch Formula One or maybe having to resort to somewhat shady measures to get their fix. So hopefully that gets resolved sooner rather than later. Anyways, that's a wrap for this week. Thank you so very much for listening and downloading the show. Uh, Again, um, I hope that everything's going well with the migration to the new provider. And uh, that's it. If you want to get in touch, send me a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod or email me at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap until this time next week. Thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.